for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you've stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review about your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by giving online at believerschurch.tv. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We're located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. So what is church and how do we view church? And are we starting to change our perception on the way that we see church as we're continuing in this very important series? We've come to understand church as a place where people look like us, act like us, vote like us, and we fear and resent anything that's on the outside, often believing that we are morally morally superior to other people. This is the way that we keep power. This is the way that we keep control. This is the way that we keep comfort. Jesus instead calls us to surrender power, to surrender comfort, to surrender control. Yet take into consideration the way that you often view people outside of the church and often how you felt if you have been a person that's been outside of the church. I'm going to say something about welcoming people from outside of the church, maybe you've, maybe you've never heard it before in this way, but as members of the body of Christ, okay, as members of the body of Christ, we must marry our personal discomfort as it is part of the process of dismantling ego and making us whole in Christ, all right, I'm going to say that one more time. You've, you, you should have it up here. As members of the body of Christ, and we talked about the importance of that unity and coming together last week, regardless of the circumstances and regardless of what life looks like around us, we must marry our personal discomfort, the one thing that we often try to get as far away from as we possibly can. But Why? Because it is part of the process of dismantling ego or dismantling self and making us whole in this shalom experience with Christ. We're in the third part of a series titled Rethink Church. We are reframing the most important themes found in the church in the book of Acts and encouraging people to give church another chance. This series is for several people. It's for people like myself that abandoned church for a very long period of time, The, well, I guess all of my 20s, and kind of felt like I'd had the experience from birth to 18. I was out on parole, so to speak, so I could venture out and see what else was in the world because I wasn't crazy about some of the things I was taught or maybe the way that I was taught some of those things. Uh, Some of you are looking at this from the inside, all right? And what I'm challenging you to do 
is to consider the customs, the rituals, the traditions, the norms, and a lot of the things that you've become accustomed to and really think about the biblical basis for these things. And then, of course, we also have people that have never been involved in church. They've never had a bad experience. They've really had no experience whatsoever. All right, so we're speaking to a lot of people, but, but the point is that regardless of where you're from, coming from, we are challenging you to rethink uh, this concept and this idea known as church. So today, I want us to move past a phrase we've all heard before. All right, some of you have used this phrase before, especially if you've been away from church before, and it's this phrase right here. Church is nothing more than a social club. All right, you heard that before? People have probably said that to you before whenever you've invited them to church. Well, it's nothing more than a social club. It's nothing more than a particular group of people getting together, talking about the things that they talk about. They're not necessarily reaching far outside of, of their little circle, outside, outside of what makes them comfortable. So it's really nothing more than a social club. It's a way for people to get together once a week, talk about things the way that people would talk about things if they were part of another kind of social organization. All right, so here are some of the implications that are actually associated with this statement. If you've heard it before, or if you've used it before, or maybe if you've never heard it before, but I'm assuming most of you have heard it before. Okay, so we, the church, are more, if we fall into this category of, of a social club, we as the church are more inward-focused, all right, focused on what's going on with us within than outward focus. This means that we are more concerned with fellowship among the people that we see every single Sunday and continuing to build those relationships up really strong. Maybe you only see so-and-so once a week. You might text them you know, through the week just a little bit. You might talk to them on Facebook just a little while you keep up with them. But Sunday is the opportunity that you really have to get together. So we're more open to that than we are to opening ourselves up to new people. All right, so that's what it's suggesting if we are a social club. These churches are often well-known for their cliques, all right? And what that means is that whenever you walk in and you're a brand-new person, you don't know anybody, and it's hard for us to imagine this, but you have that anxiety and that worry and that insecurity whenever you go into a new place, not just a new church if you're used to church, but imagine if you, you, you don't go to church on a regular basis. All right, so the, the customs and the norms and all these things are not things that you're used to, and you walk in and you see a group of four or five women uh, talking together, and all of them seem to have their back to you. And you might see two or three men uh, talking about their last fishing trip or the hunting trip or the ball game last night or whatever that looks like, and you, you manage to actually walk by unnoticed or even worse, everyone in the entire place stares at you and no one says anything. Maybe you've been in that position before, hopefully not here. All right, these churches also struggle to welcome and embrace people that clearly exhibit patterns outside of the church's social norms. Drug use, poverty, Maybe improper dress code. Maybe you've heard that this individual has a criminal record or a bad reputation 
or they didn't grow up in church, etc., etc., etc. These individuals that are within this church, uh, this social club, they tend to speak what we could call insider language and exist by a set of cultural norms that is only familiar to them. All right, so we could look at this kind of church and we could say that this church has an insider mentality or that this church is a, is a social club. All right, so when a new person does come into this church, and again, maybe you've been in this position before, I've been in this position before, they either go overlooked, they are judged, or they get that, you know, that poor pitiful you look. You ever had that poor pitiful look, you look? And when a church person gives you that poor pitiful you look, you just want to run and you're thinking, do they know anything? I know very little about church, but I know a little bit about the grace of God. I've heard like a little bit, this is the person coming into church, I've heard a little bit about mercy, I've heard a little bit about forgiveness, and when I walk in this place, these people are looking at me like a wounded puppy that has to be saved, not like a person with dignity that they want to walk up to and talk to as an equal, the way that Jesus would. Do you understand what I'm saying? All right, this is the place that so many churches are, and do we really even have to ask questions as to why people would not be interested in this? So Luke's going to address this. This is in the Bible, by the way. Luke's going to address this several times in Acts. Acts chapter 6 is notable, especially considering the racial climate that is going on in the United States today. But I want to look at Acts chapter 10. All right, so if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 10. We've been skipping around. In fact, I think we were in the first and second, or maybe... Maybe chapter 2, both of the first two weeks. We're going to go all the way to chapter 10 today, and I want you to look at verse 34. We're going to go 34 through 38, and then we're going to skip over to verse 46. And I want to give you a little bit of a background of, of what we're going to be looking at today, because this is an absolutely, this is an absolutely fascinating, life-changing story that we're going to look at today. All right, so there is this man named Cornelius, all right? And Cornelius is significant because he's not Jewish, all right? And he's visited by an angel and told to look for Peter who will tell God what he is supposed to do. He's going to tell Peter what Cornelius is supposed to do. Meanwhile, Peter has a vision, all right? Peter is completely disconnected from the story at this point right here. But Peter has a vision that basically affirms that he is supposed to reach beyond the Jewish audience, the people that he's been used to ministering to since, since being in Christ, and he is supposed to reach outside of the Jewish audience or beyond the Jews into the Gentile population with the message of Jesus. Now, this is the important part right here. Peter preaching the gospel to a non-Jewish audience or to a non-Jew, is a turning point in the Bible. All right, it's a turning point in the Bible. And we should be very thankful that it's a turning point in the Bible, because to the best of my knowledge, and I could be wrong, but I don't know that we have a significant Jewish population in this church right now. Meaning that every single one of us, unless I'm wrong, ethnically, I'm not certain about everyone, we are all Gentiles. So if Peter was not called to reach outside of his comfort in this way, the gospel would have never been addressed to any of us. So these individuals with this insider language, these individuals that often create these social clubs, 
These individuals that often see church as a place for them, but if they're not like me, if they don't vote like me, if they don't look like me, if they've had this, let them clean themselves up first. Let them learn how they're supposed to dress. Let them get their lives together, and then maybe they can come to our church. Thank God that this message went beyond the Jews. It was not customary during this time for Jews to even have Gentiles in their homes. All right, it's breaking cultural norms. I'll say that again. It wasn't even customary for Jews, the people of God, to have Gentiles in their homes. All right, so Acts chapter 10, verses 34 through 38, and then we're going to, again, we're going to skip down and look at verses 46 through 48. This is what the Word of God says. Peter said, I am really learning, this is humble, I am really learning that God doesn't show partiality to one group of people over another. How many people need to hear that today? How many people need to understand that as they're closing the door on other people? If it's a racial group, if it's someone in a place of struggle that maybe you and I don't know, if it's a different ethnicity, that God does not show partiality just because you've been a Christian the majority of your life, is there, if there is a new seeker or someone that is coming in, God does not show partiality to one person or one group over the other. Rather, in every nation, whoever worships him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This is the message of peace he sent to the Israelites by proclaiming the good news through Jesus Christ he is Lord of, uh, of some. He is Lord of those with good behavior. No, He is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism of John preached. You know what happened about Jesus. You know about Jesus of Nazareth, whom God anointed with the Holy Spirit and endowed with power. Jesus traveled around doing good and healing everyone oppressed by the devil because God was with him. All right, skipping over to verse 46 toward the end of chapter 10. They heard them speaking in other languages and praising God, and Peter asked, these people have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Surely no one can stop them from being baptized with water, can they? He directed that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and they invited this Jew, Peter, to stay for several days. Believer's Church must love people that we spend time with on a regular basis. You know, I've not been here for very long, but my understanding is that this church is 20-plus years old, meaning that some of you have deep relationships and deep friendships that are rooted, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's very important because that's what it means to be part of the body of Christ. But more than that, even more than that, we must open ourselves up to people that, we, that are not currently part of this church, and we don't get to pick what they look like or how they act. 
That is not within our ability, though we wish sometimes it was. Because church, in theory, from the beginning, in its inceptions and roots, must be a place for all people. And what we have done instead is we have made it a church for some people. You have the grandfathers and the grandmothers of the church, or what we sometimes call the gatekeepers, who have the ability to decide these individuals are acceptable, but maybe these individuals are not acceptable. Who knows what kind of problems could happen if she starts coming to our church? Who knows what kind of issues we could start to have if that crowd starts to show up? You know what? Maybe the Holy Spirit would show up. Maybe God would show up. Instead of just the social club that people um, uh, create. So we have made it a place for some people. Verse 34 and verse 38, Peter said, I really am learning that God doesn't show partiality to one group of people over another. This is the message of peace. He sent to the Israelites by proclaiming the good news through Jesus Christ. He is, in fact, Lord of all. And I love again, I'll say it again, the humility that Peter practices when he admits that he is also a work in progress. He is part of this process of sanctification where he is still growing and growing in his faith. At one time, only ministering to a group of people, but then he is challenged in a vision by the Holy Spirit to go beyond that. And to look at other people in a different way. A lot of people who, who quite frankly, would have been uh, considered enemies. So with Cornelius, what we have is the first Gentile conversion. And what this does that is so important for us and other churches is that it opens the church up to outsiders. It opens the church up to outsiders. Now, I know that we like to close the door again but it opens the church up to outsiders. So the question is, for us today, how willing are we? Because like I've said, what I want to do is, is make this applicable to us as a people as we go forward. All right? How willing are we to open the church to outsiders? How willing are we? This will force some of us to confront a deep prejudice within. It just will. My grandmother was, was, was telling me a story. Whenever her church, about a year ago, started a Celebrate Recovery, which is a ministry for people who struggle with drugs and alcohol, and for that matter, a number of other things, uh, food issues, anxiety, depression, pornography, a number of different issues, and on Wednesday nights, they started opening up their Celebrate Recovery meetings to people that were, that were on the fringes of society that were really struggling. And there was a man that played the guitar in their church, and he made the statement, and this is the way that it was told to me by my, by my grandmother who plays the piano, I am not going to go to church with people like that. Now, you may think that that is isolated, you may think that that's just a strange situation and, and, and you know, that's, that's just probably not a very good guy or maybe he doesn't understand the Gospels. But what would you think if I told you that this is actually the norm? 
What would you think if I told you that whenever some people walk in churches without the appropriate clothing because they've been invited by someone else or because they are desperate and they've tried everything else, that they are turned away, that they are told not to come back until they understand how to dress, that they're told that there is not a place for them there. And I ask the question as I think about the gospel and I think about what Jesus did, if we're not ministering to these individuals, why do we exist? Uh, why are we here? You know, you talk about a social club, like I got a lot of, I, I'm, I'm a Celtics fan, all right? And I have a lot of friends that like the NBA and we, and we text and stuff during groups. I, I have friend groups. I have people that I can exercise with. I have people that I can do this with. I have people that I can do that with. Why do I need another social club? We are called to be different people. You see, we often say that we want others to come to know Christ and we want them to come to our church, but this is only if they look like us, they're respectable people, they have good hygiene, they dress appropriately, they're going to quickly adapt to the teaching. And we are not quite ready. If you ask me, we're not quite ready to take on a Cornelius at face value. We're just not quite ready for it. And I want you to really think. I want, I want to really challenge you as the Holy Spirit starts to stir something within you. Who is church for? Why does church exist? What is this whole thing about? What does this whole thing mean? And is it possible? Or maybe even likely that we're missing the mark, that we're slightly off track. Translated another way, please get this. We feel others should respect the traditions of our building while we don't respect or acknowledge the authentic teachings of Jesus. I'm going to say that one more time, all right? We feel that others should respect the traditions of our building whenever they come here. They should understand this is church. They should behave this way. They should understand these things. Yet maybe we don't respect or acknowledge the true, organic, authentic teachings of Jesus, meaning we are the ones with the problem. It is very quiet in here today. Maybe we are the ones with the problem. Who did Jesus approach? The adulterous woman at the well? The crooked tax, collever, uh, tax collector, Levi, also known as Matthew? The prostitute, Mary Magdalene? The lepers? The demon-possessed? The social outcast? And on and on and on. And thank God... He approached an alcoholic, or I wouldn't be standing here. Thank God he approached some of you in your brokenness, even if this was your religiosity, your inner resident Pharisee, whenever you came tumbling down. I'm telling you that we are being called toward the dirty work of the gospel. And I am telling you today that it is dirty dirty work. So what is the challenge? And what, what must we understand if we are going to live authentically? 
Our challenge is to become inclusive. Accept people where they are and let Jesus do the rest. You know what we want to do when they get in the, when they get in the building? Or after one week of attending, we want to do the conversion. We want to convert them. We want to straighten them out. God's not even done straightening us out. But we want to straighten them out. You know what? If you will practice love, if you will practice servanthood, if you will practice the authentic gospel of Jesus, believe it or not, he's always going to do the rest. He's always going to take care of everything else. All right, so when we become inclusive, whenever we practice this, what we are doing is we are inviting the Holy Spirit. We are inviting the Holy Spirit. All right, you may say, well, the Holy Spirit doesn't need an invitation. I believe that there are churches that are meeting right now, possibly in Boone's Creek, definitely in Johnson City, in our areas, and the presence of God has not been there in years. And it's because people work tirelessly and diligently to push God out every single week. But whenever you practice the effort, whenever you look at how Jesus did ministry and you welcome the outsider, the Holy Spirit is going to show up. Verses 47 and 48, these people who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we have, Surely no one can stop them from being baptized with water, can they? He directed that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. These people outside of Judaism. Then they invited Peter to stay for several days. I've been in churches before, and I've been in other places before. Not just churches, other places. Sometimes over to, to someone's home when it's like a, lo- a large social gathering. And I felt unwelcome before. Have you ever been in a position, maybe it's been a church, maybe it's been at someone's house, maybe it's been at a particular social location for work or something like that where you were supposed to meet, and you've just felt unwelcome. You felt that insecurity. You felt that anxiety. And I don't know what people did 15, 20 years ago, but now the first thing that we do is we grab that phone And we start, we're thinking, I hope that someone talks to me. I hope that someone acts like they care because that's what we do. That's our impulse as far as anxiety is concerned. Because we can't handle the awkwardness and how strange it feels whenever we feel like we're in a place where we're completely unwelcome. When we close the door on the poor, on the addicted, or the damaged, we are also closing the door on the work that the Holy Spirit will do among us. Can we just be really honest for just a second? Can we be honest? There is not one person that is in this room right now that has it all together. The majority of you, like me, we're just a paycheck away from poverty. The majority of us in here are struggling in our own areas of our lives, but something happens when we walk in a door like this, And all of a sudden, we are living by these values and these norms that never had anything to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I really can't understand it. The moral superiority, I don't know if it helps us sleep better at night. I, I really don't know exactly what it is. But it's a way of us telling ourselves that we are better. Now, this church that we came from in Kentucky, which which Beth and I uh, do not talk about a whole lot, 
One thing that I can say, and this was a culture that had to be built over time, but this was a church full of misfits. And it was like if another church didn't want somebody, they told them about Destination Community Church downtown. Because it wasn't abnormal at our church. It was not abnormal to see a homeless person. And then a pharmacist. And then a school teacher. And then an addict. And then a doctor. And it's like you had all of these social classes and these different groups and these different races all blended in together under one common purpose. And that is exactly the way that the church is supposed to be. When we learn to serve the least of these and be with people that are different from us, we are also always going to be the ones that benefit the most. So this is what Peter is doing when he is going in to the house of Cornelius. Because please understand, this is very uncomfortable for Peter. This is very difficult for him. He is leaving behind his former understanding of clean, all right, the food, uh, Jewish food practices, and unclean. He is going from being the majority among the Jews to the minority among the Gentiles. So what this means is that he is completely, in every way, stepping outside of his comfort zone. There are some of you that if you were to step into, hopefully a lot of you, if you were to step into a club or a bar at midnight, maybe you were there last night, I have no idea, but if you were to step into that atmosphere, you would be so full of anxiety because that is completely outside of your norm. Again, I'm just making that assumption, all right? The same way that a lot of people, because I've had people tell me this, where we were before, people would sit in their cars with so much anxiety because of their drug issues, because everyone in town, it was a small town, had heard about their affair, because of the problems that they had, and they would literally sit in there fighting a panic attack in order to come in that building. There were other people who told me that they actually pulled into the parking lot. Okay, I got to go into the church. I got to go into the church. And the anxiety was so strong. And the fear of the unknown and what things would be like once they entered the building was so strong that they pulled out of the parking lot and left. How many people, and I don't know if it's ever been anybody, but what if that's been the possibility at our church? That people have pulled in, they've been invited. They've known they need Jesus. They know they're in a dark, struggling, difficult place. And they don't need to see religiosity. They don't need to see hypocrisy. They don't need a Pharisee at the door. They need salt and light. They need love. They need people that are opening that door and standing in that lobby and standing in here that never forgets where they came from and where they've been. So I challenge you to really consider and think about, is this on your radar on Sundays? Whenever we enter this building, 
Is it, oh, I've got to see Tammy. Haven't seen Tammy since, since last week. Got to see Tammy. Oh, I've got to see Justin. I've got to talk to him about his new guitar. We've we, we got to talk about all this stuff. Is that what it is? Or is it, who is going to walk in this place today that I've never seen before that needs to feel the love of Jesus in a way that they've never felt before? I can be that vessel. I can be that person. I can be that individual that steps out. Peter is required by God to step out. And the same is true for us. Being an authentic New Testament church means we must be willing to step out of our comfort and recognize the other. Christianity truly transforms the world, primarily through Paul with Gentiles, but truly transforms the world whenever it begins to reach people outside of comfort, outside of the cultural norms, outside of what everyone within a building, or in that case, in that time, a house, was used to. So how do we do this? How is it that we actually practice this? Uh, The first way is about theology, and the second way is about practice. All right, so the first thing that we have to do is we have to have a missional understanding of the church. We have to have a missional understanding of the church. And what this means is that we have to develop a posture of looking outward instead of inward. All right, we have to develop a posture of looking outward instead of inward. Um, I was talking to, to someone at the church one day. And I said this in a very friendly way because this was someone who, who kept coming up to me. We talk a lot, and I was talking to this person, and I said, I don't want you to ever take this personal. And he said, okay. And I said, if for some reason I seem a little bit distracted, I said, it's because after we've talked for a minute or two, I'm trying to find somebody I've never met before. I'm trying to find that person that's walking around on their phone that looks super uncomfortable. I'm trying to find that person that looks completely lost and and wants to exit and try to get out the door as soon as they can. I'm trying to find that person that would give anything if someone would just approach them and say something. The guy that was over our first impressions ministry at our last church, he developed this idea. I thought it was amazing. This guy, Jordan Caldwell, he called it de-clicking. All right, and everyone that was on that ministry team, the first impressions team that greeted people as they came in, they were required to de-click. And what that means is if you've got your little group of four or five women that love to talk, or if you've got your little group of guys that love to talk, you know what, do that, say hello, love your brothers, love your sisters, but then you de-click and you start looking for lost sheep. You start looking for people who are struggling. You start looking for the margins exactly where Jesus was looking. See, because something that you'll recognize is that whenever you notice the addict, whenever you notice the homeless person, whenever you notice the person that's in a place of struggle, when you notice a person that is often defiant of religion and you approach that person and bring the Holy Spirit, you're also bringing everyone else into the fold. 
Because you're practicing something that is authentic. And you're practicing something that is contagious. You see, everyone is seen the other way. All right, so we have to develop an outsider mentality of a church. That's the theology, and here's the practice. And this is it right here. We must learn to see people the way that Jesus saw people. You don't know something that impresses me. You don't know what doesn't impress me as much, even though I think it's really important? I've memorized half the Bible. I've read it cover to cover seven times. I've been in church. I've got every Sunday school pen. I've, I, I've done everything that you can imagine. I've got all of these things from everything that I've done. Okay, well, that's wonderful. How do you see the broken? How do you view the wayward? Really, I'm, I'm asking you guys, and I want you to think about this. When you see a person on the side of the road, when you see a person that doesn't have it all together and comes into this church, in your mind, just, just cognitively, is your first thought judgment or love? Follow-up question. How good is that Bible really doing you? Dorothy Day said, and this is probably my favorite quote outside of the Bible of all time, all time, I can only love God as much as the person I love the least. Take that to lunch today. I can only love God as much as the person I love the least. This is a learning process. It isn't something that happens overnight. But the question is, as a church, who are you? Are you like Peter? Are you willing to embrace this learning process of loving the other and accepting and embracing others and letting Jesus do the rest? Or does that resident Pharisee constantly come out? Would you pray with me? With all heads bowed this morning and all eyes closed, I just want to ask you like a super honest question, all right? And, and if you can be honest about this, it's going to be really helpful. And the reason that it's going to be really helpful is because there is nothing more important in church, as far as I'm concerned, than open confession, all right? And no one is looking around you. No one's asking you to, to come up and confess all of your terrible things. But if you sense a prejudice within you toward a particular group of people, toward people who have done you wrong, maybe it's just the way that you've seen things for a very long time and the way that you've understood church. But if this is sometimes that you struggle, something that you sometimes struggle with, if embracing the other is something that almost feels like a foreign concept to you, a pretty good period of the time. Would you be honest enough just to raise your hand? Thank you for your honesty. Thank you very much. Anyone else? Man, we've got some saints in here. Anyone else? Be honest. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? Thank you. What I'm going to pray today is a communal prayer of repentance for us. 
Because I believe, because I've been there before as well. And I believe that God wants to do absolutely incredible things at this church. I feel like that's confirmed every single day with what God is telling me. But if we are going to do this, sometimes for some of us, myself included, we need to talk a little less about Jesus and live a lot more like Jesus. Father, as we come to you today, we pray that you break our hearts. Father, I'm, I'm, I'm not joking. God, I pray that you break our hearts because as we pray this second, there's a needle in an arm. God, as we pray this this second, there is a child that is experiencing abuse. As we pray this this second, there are some people seeking and searching for answers. But they feel that the church is just another place that's going to let them down. Break our hearts for the same things that break your heart because at the end of the day, God, we are miserable sinners in need of the grace of God. Keep us low, Father. Keep us in a place where the only direction that we can look is up toward you. And we will praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.